with the exception of Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Mark 16.16 is likely the verse that I would quote most in all our sermons and all the classes that I've ever presented. The text there, of course, says, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved will be condemned. This is an important verse to us. We read it a lot. We look at it a lot. But sometimes I wonder if we take a look at the context around it. There are some great lessons that we can learn from what happens here at the end of Mark chapter 16. In fact, there are a lot of questions that people have here because of that, that disconcerting verse that says these signs will follow those who have believed. They'll pick up serpents, they'll drink deadly poisons, and on it goes. I want us to take a look at the context surrounding what happened in this verse and see if we can't learn some lessons that are going to help us and help us be better Christians, help us be stronger and rely on the Lord. If you would, read with me in Mark chapter 16, beginning at verse 14. It says, Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. I hope we can learn what happened here and some lessons for us that will help us be better Christians. Before we look at that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we lift you up and praise your name because you are awesome beyond our wildest imagination. We cannot even fathom your greatness, but we are so thankful that you have looked down upon us and loved us. We're thankful that you're with us. We're thankful that you promised never to forsake us. And we pray that no matter what we face in this life, that we'll remember that you're there. And help us, Father, to lean on you in all of our struggles. Help us to lean on your children and to help one another and strengthen one another. Father, we praise your name. And we hope that you accept what we have offered this morning, even though it falls short of what you deserve. Strengthen us to be able to grow in our ability to praise and glorify you. Because that's what we want more than anything else, to glorify you. Forgive us because we've fallen short too often. We have not believed. We have not followed your path. We've not done what you said. Help us to overcome those snares of the devil and help us to turn to your path of righteousness and follow it and receive the blessings that you've offered. Through your Son we pray. Amen. I want us to begin by taking a look at this passage within its biblical context. I really think that at times, because we have honed in on Mark 16, 16 so much, and it's become such an anchor passage for us. We struggle with the surrounding verses because we don't realize that in reality, these last few verses were not written in order to tell us, he that believes and is baptized will be saved. Now that's there, and we have to live, we have to follow that, and I'm not denying that, but in actuality, there's a greater context, there's a greater message in these verses surrounding it that I think will help us as Christians, but we've got to see it in its greater context. So what I want us to do first is just ask ourselves, what happened in these verses? Now, let's remember what's gone on before this. Jesus, in Mark chapter 16 and verse 6, has been resurrected. The folks had come to the tomb, and it said, uh, the angel said to them, Do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. 
He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid Him. Jesus has already been resurrected from the dead. And within the context of Mark, I don't want to see it bogged down by trying to look at all the Gospels here. Let's just take a look at Mark's message and his meaning here in this final chapter. In the context of Mark, these ladies had come to the tomb. They had been told that he wasn't there. And then notice what happened after they went out and fled and went to go tell what had happened. In verse 9 it says, After he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. I want you to keep this in mind. Notice what's happening in the context here. The apostles have been told that Jesus was resurrected and they refused to believe it. That's the important thing that's going on in this text. The apostles did not believe. In fact, not only was there Mary Magdalene, but in verse 12 after that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along their way to the country. They went away and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them either. Now this is so important for us to understand the context of what's happening in these last few verses. The apostles have been told now by three witnesses, people who claim not only to have seen an empty tomb, but to have seen the resurrected Savior, and the apostles did not believe it. And so Jesus is now going to do something about that. And so we come to our text in Mark chapter 16 and beginning in verse 14. And there are five things that I want us to notice that happen within these verses. The very first thing is that Jesus appears and he rebukes the apostles. Well, of course he's going to rebuke the apostles. They didn't believe the testimony that Jesus has been resurrected even by these eyewitnesses. They just didn't believe it. Now, these are the men who had spent three years with him. They had seen all kinds of works and wonders. They had seen him cast out demons. They had seen him heal the sick. They had seen him make the blind to see and the lame to walk and the deaf to hear. They had seen him feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fish. They had even seen him raise people from the dead. But even more importantly, if we look back in Mark chapter 9 and verse 31, Jesus had told them This was going to happen. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 31, Jesus had told them, teaching His disciples, telling them, the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him, and when He has been killed, He will rise three days later. They had seen Him perform all these wondrous works, but in addition to that, Jesus has said, this is exactly what's going to happen. I am going to be delivered into the hands of men. I am going to be killed. I am going to be buried. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And here comes these witnesses that said, you remember what Jesus told us? He said He was going to rise again. He's actually done it. And the apostles did not believe. And so Jesus rebuked them. I just want you to see this. Hold on to this, because in the context here, what I want you to see is that this passage is not really about what we're supposed to do today. Yes, that command is there, and we're going to talk about that. But what this passage is really about is the apostles who did not believe the message that Jesus had given them and did not believe the testimony of these eyewitnesses. And this is, what's, this is the basis for everything that's about to happen. So the first thing Jesus does is he rebukes them. But then he gives them a charge. Then he gives them a command. He tells them that they're supposed to do something. He rebukes them for their lack of faith. He rebukes because they didn't believe what he had said. He rebukes because they didn't believe the eyewitness testimony. But now he says, I've still got a job for you. 
There's still something that you have to do. I want you to be a part of my plan. And in verse 15 and 16, he says, here's what you're supposed to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Please understand in the context. Yes, I know. There's something we learn here for us today. I understand that. We're going to talk about that. But in Mark 16... The purpose here was not so much to tell us we have to be baptized in order to be saved. The purpose here was to tell the apostles that they had a charge, they had a command, they had a job that Jesus was giving them. This is very important because Jesus actually already told them, look, I'm going to die, I'm going to be resurrected, and I want you to go on to Galilee. And they didn't do it. They didn't go to Galilee to meet him like he had said. And so now he's saying, all right, you haven't believed, but I've got a job for you. And the real ultimate question is, the apostles, all throughout the book of Mark, especially in the presentation, but especially here in this last chapter, they haven't believed. They've, they've fumbled the ball. And now Jesus is saying, I've got a job for you. But not only did Jesus have a job for them, he also had a promise for them. And we find that in verses 17 and 18. Notice what it says. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, traditionally speaking, the way our brethren have looked at this verse, and the way I've even looked at this verse in the past, is that yes, certainly in the early ages of the church, there were miraculous gifts, and, and people could speak in tongues, and people could could uh, to pick up deadly serpents and they could drink poison and those were things that would happen but it would only happen for a certain period of time and so this promise is limited by the rest of the biblical context. It's, and brethren, I'll admit that might be true but I really don't think that's what's happening here and I'd like to share with you another possibility that I think fits more within the context of what's happening at the end of the book of Mark. And that is that Jesus in verse 17 and 18 is not talking about the same people that he was talking about in verse 16. He's talking about somebody else. Notice something. I just want you to notice a shift. Verse 16. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he has disbelieved shall be condemned. Now notice verse 17. These signs will accompany he who has believed. Is that what yours says? That's not what mine says. Mine says these signs will accompany those who have believed. Now, it doesn't matter to me how you're going to look at this text. It doesn't matter what you're going to say about it. Eventually, you have to come around to saying there's at least some kind of shift between verse 16 and verse 17. The, the one that, to me, seems the most obvious is the fact that verse 16, he's got a different pronoun there. He's talking about somebody different. He who believes. You guys have a job, he tells the apostles. Your job is to go out and teach. And he who believes when you go out and teach them and is baptized shall be saved. He who believes when you go out and teach them and, and he who doesn't believe when you go out and teach them, he's going to be condemned. But now he's back to talking to the apostles. Remember, what's the context? The apostles didn't believe. Over and over again, we see through the book of Mark how the apostles messed up and Jesus having to rebuke them and bring them back on track. And even here at the end, we get down to the apostles having been told by Jesus what was going to happen. Three witnesses come to him saying it's happened and they didn't believe. And so now Jesus says, look, I've got a job for you and I've got a promise for you. The question is, will you believe? Because apostles, if you believe, here's what's going to happen with you. These signs will accompany those who have believed. 
The apostles hadn't believed. They were standing on the brink. They were standing on the edge. Will they actually follow Jesus and do what he has said now that he's resurrected? Or are they going to continue to, to, to just kind of stay half-hearted and, and not really believe and wonder what they're supposed to do instead of really accepting who Jesus was and getting out there preaching? He says, here's your job. Go preach. But I understand something. You have to have faith to do this. And if you believe, and if you get out there and teach, here's what I'm going to do. Signs will accompany you. In my name you'll cast out demons, they'll speak with new tongues, they'll pick up serpents. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And they'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Listen, I understand that in the biblical context that there were Christians, other than the apostles, who received the miraculous gifts of the Spirit, who were able to speak in new tongues, who were able to heal the sick. I just don't believe Jesus is talking about them right here. I believe that in this context, Jesus is making a promise to the apostles. He's saying, you didn't believe up to this point. You've been struggling with belief. Now I've got a job for you. The question is, are you going to believe? If you believe and if you obey, here's what I'm going to do. I'll be with you. You will accomplish these signs. These are the things that are going to happen in your life. So Jesus rebuked them. He gave them the commission. Then he made a promise. You've got a job. I've got a promise. What happened next? The apostles believed. When we look in the context again in Mark chapter 16, notice what happened in verse 20. Jesus has left, verse 19, and then in verse 20, the first sentence, they went out and preached everywhere. Do you notice how this corresponds with the Great Commission? See, Jesus rebuked them, then he gives them a job, then he gives them a promise. What did they do? They did the job. He said, your job is to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and he who believes and is baptized will be saved, he who doesn't believe will be condemned. Then he gives them the promise, and then what do they do? They go do what he said. What did they do? They believed. What a great victory for the apostles. They had trouble. I, 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 seriously, you need to go through the book of Mark sometime and just take a look at how over and over and over and over again Mark presents the apostles as just messing things up, not believing Jesus, not understanding Jesus, arguing with Jesus, having problems, and Jesus constantly bringing them back all the way down to the end. And so as we've got this, book, this look at the book of Mark, we've got these apostles that just frankly sometimes are just, are just bumbling idiots. And they just wonder why on earth did Jesus pick these guys? They don't ever get it right. They're always messing up. Even to the very end, they didn't believe. And yet Jesus is still giving them a job. But finally, we end with this amazing statement. They finally got it. They finally believed. And they finally went out and did exactly what Jesus said. He gave them the charge. He gave them the command. And they did it. And then the final thing that we need to recognize in the context is that, in fact, Jesus fulfilled his promise. What had he said? Essentially, he had told them, if you go out and if you teach, if you believe what I'm saying to you, these signs will accompany you. I'll be with you. Think about that. These signs will accompany you. Does that remind you of anybody in the Bible history? Do you remember a man who saw a burning bush? And from that burning bush, he heard a voice. But all throughout that, he said, oh, I'm not the guy, I can't do this. What if this, what if that, what did God do? He said, I will be with you, and here is the sign that you'll show. And of course, he turned the water to blood, threw the stick down, and it became a serpent. That's exactly what's happening here. Jesus is saying, I will be with you. And notice how verse 20 ends. While the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. I think here in the context, we have, we have Mark pointing out what his point was. Back up here when he made this promise, 
The promise was not about Christians receiving miraculous gifts of the Spirit. The promise was that if the apostles believed and did the work, he would be with them and work with them, and they would have accompanying signs. Notice what happened. Do you see the progression? When we look at this in the context of the picture that Mark has presented of the apostles, we've got the fact that they didn't believe, so Jesus rebuked them. He gave them a job, but then he made them a promise that they would believe and follow the the work that he had given. They did that. Jesus fulfilled his promise. This is what we have at the end of the book of Mark. Yes, it tells us that we have to believe and be baptized, but do you see the greater message? The greater message here about apostles who didn't believe but finally got it and Jesus kept his word to them and worked through them. As we consider that, there's four lessons that I'd like for us to learn from these last few verses. Four lessons that I'd like for us to learn from these last few verses, especially understanding them within that context. Lesson number one, the apostles were not greater than we are. I think sometimes we take a look back at these men and we have the idea that they were chosen because they're somehow better. They were great because they had more faith than we could ever have because they were just super spiritual men. But I want you to look at this. Again, I encourage you. We didn't have time this morning to go through the whole book of Mark, but it's just amazing. Look at it over and over again. And even here in this last chapter, Jesus had told them what was going to happen. They didn't believe. Mary Magdalene came to him, said it happened. They didn't believe. Two other men came to him, said it happened. They didn't believe. It wasn't until Jesus finally stepped into the room that they believed. And even then, we remember Thomas, who wasn't there on the first occasion, and he heard the words from all the others, and, and, and he still said, well, unless I see it, I'm not going to believe. These men are not great because they're better than us. They're great because they're just like us. They had the same weaknesses, the same problems, the same struggles, but they overcame them and God used them. That's why they're great. I realize at this point some some person, and I have actually been this person in the past, trying to bring in a little reality and and trying to, to say, you know, we shouldn't be so hard on these apostles. We'll say, now look, guys, you know, we can talk about how much they didn't believe, but who among us, if we had been there, would, would have been different from them? I'll tell you what, I want you to remember John chapter 20 and verse 29. John chapter 20 and verse 29, after Thomas finally said, My Lord and my God, having seen Jesus, Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. But then I want you to understand something. The apostles didn't believe until they saw Here we are, we believed and we didn't see. Do you realize that that means that we have actually exercised a greater faith even right now than the apostles did in Mark 16? Reverend, I'm not trying to suggest that we shouldn't respect the apostles. I'm not trying to say that we should should, uh, speak ill of them. I'm just trying to point out that the reality of the situation is that our faith that has been displayed by accepting Jesus as the Christ without seeing it has been greater than theirs was because they had to see him first. And the only reason I point that out is because I want us to understand that when we look to them as examples, the example is not that they were somehow superhumanly spiritual, but that they were just like us and they were able to overcome. We, through our faith, can overcome and perform great things in the kingdom of God, just as they did. The second lesson I'd like for us to learn from this is to recognize that Jesus is merciful. I just, again, I mean, we've said it over and over again, trying to stress the importance of what's happened here. Jesus had demonstrated all these works to the apostles. Jesus had told them what was going to happen. 
Three witnesses came to him and said it happened, and they didn't believe. Now, if, if you or I had been Jesus, and we came into the midst of these 12 men, or 11 men by this time, what would we do? Would we look at them and say, I tell you what, you, you guys who haven't believed, who've been causing me problems all the way along, I've been annoyed and frustrated, I've had to rebuke you, I'm constantly having to bring you back on the, on the page. You know, I think at this point I'd have finally said, you know what, I've just had enough. I'm going to start over, and I'm going to have to find 12 other guys who are going to demonstrate more faith, and we'll move from there, but I'm sick of dealing with y'all. That's not what he did. Yes, he rebuked them. Yes, he pointed out that they had done something wrong and they needed to change, but he still used them as part of his plan. He was merciful to them. And just consider the great work, the great work that he used them for. If you look over in Acts chapter 1, it's really kind of phenomenal. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, You'll receive power in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. You'll be my witnesses. These men who had trouble believing all the way along, Jesus had said, you guys who have just had trouble with faith all the way along will be my witnesses, will be the ones that go out and try to engender faith in other people. That's phenomenal to me. And yet it tells us something about our Lord. He's merciful. He's not sitting back there waiting for us to mess up so he can cut us loose and say, I don't want to deal with you anymore because I'm tired of you. He wants us to be part of his plan. And so it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what kind of struggles you've had with your faith. It doesn't matter what kind of struggles you've had with your obedience. Jesus wants you on his team. He wants you to be a part of his plan, and he will work through you if you repent and come back to him. What an amazingly merciful Savior we have. There's a third lesson, and that is that Jesus fulfills his promises. Jesus told the apostles, those who believe will get these signs. And the way the text ends is that they believed, they went out and did what he said, and he accompanied them, working with them with the signs. Jesus did what he said he was going to do. But even beyond that, we can look into the book of Acts, and we see the accompanying signs that Jesus used by the Holy Spirit through the apostles. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, they are all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. That's exactly what Jesus said would happen. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 6, Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk! And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. We look back in Acts chapter 2 and verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. This is exactly what Jesus had said would happen. Those who believe will have these signs. If you believe me, Peter, if you believe me, John, if you believe me, Matthew, if you believe me and you get out there and teach, I'll be with you. I'll work these signs through you, and you'll be able to engender faith in people. Jesus kept his promise. We need to understand Jesus keeps his promises to us as well. Jesus keeps his promises to us as well. And there might be a period where we're wondering about that. I think about the apostles and and the days that they were with Jesus, 40 days after his resurrection, and nothing happened. Then Jesus left, and they had 10 days that they were still waiting in Jerusalem, and nothing happened. 
here's a period of time that I can't help but think they, they must have wondered, well, is anything going to happen? Is what Jesus said really going to come true? And don't we have times like that? Jesus has said, if we seek first His kingdom and righteousness, He'll provide for us. Do we ever struggle wondering if He's really going to do that? We can trust Jesus and His promises. When He has said that he who has believed and is baptized will be saved, we can trust Him that it's going to happen that way. And in fact, that leads us to our fourth lesson. And that is, we can be saved. And even though the purpose of the end of Mark was not just to tell us about how we can be saved, that is a lesson that's in there. He said, he who has believed and has been baptized will be saved. He who has disbelieved shall be condemned. We can be saved. Despite all our sins, despite the struggle with faith that we might have had in our lives, it points out that we can be saved by the mercy of Jesus Christ. He's not waiting to just toss us in hell, but is giving us opportunity, giving us teaching, giving us prodding, giving us what we need so that we can be saved. And I know that there's a lot of discussion about this verse. I know there's a lot of folks who, 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 who come down to this last half. I want you to notice in this verse, there are two parts to this verse. One part says what it takes to be saved. Another part says what it takes to be condemned. My question for you is, which part is your goal? You see, if your goal is to be condemned, then by all means, focus on this bottom half and don't believe. And focus in on what that says. And don't be baptized, because it doesn't say anything about baptism down there. But I'll tell you what, if you want to be saved, you need to focus in on the part of the verse that talks about how to be saved. I just don't understand how folks in the world today think they're going to be saved by focusing in on the part of the verse that tells them how to go to hell. If we want to be saved, let's focus in on the part of the verse that tells us how to go to heaven and do what it says. It says, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. This text doesn't go on to say that if you believe and are baptized, you're going to be able to pick up serpents and you're going to be able to drink poisons or you're going to be able to heal people. We know that there was a time when Christians, even beyond the apostles, were able to do that because they laid their hands on them. But 1 Corinthians 13 demonstrates that was only for a period of time. That's done now. But this passage never promised that to us, in my opinion. It promised that to the apostles. And I'll tell you what, the apostles went on and preached and they performed those signs. That ought to tell us something about what this verse says. And the apostles said, believe and be baptized in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. When it said that, they performed miracles and said, we, we know what we're talking about. God's with us. Jesus is working with us. You better listen. This is what they said. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. We can be saved. What great lessons we have here from the end of Mark as we recognize that Jesus does keep His promises, but we have to do what He says. 